You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. The number one trait that I've observed is that the best, most successful microcap investors know the game they're playing. They're working towards mastering or have mastered their investing strategies through practice, repetition, observation, and most importantly, it's an investing strategy that matches their own personality. Welcome back to Money Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers, and you're in for a treat today. A new guest that covers uh, small cap investing, micro cap investing as a media figure, but he's also the host of a podcast that teaches people about investing in small caps, not only the mining sector, although he does cover the mining sector, sector, but just all the different aspects of how you can make money in small caps. I'm speaking of Robert Kraft. He's the CEO of SNN Network, and his podcast is called the Planet Microcap Podcast. And this is a podcast that I've listened to. I can even see myself cutting my grass on my zero turn rider, listening to some of his hour long interviews with uh, investment managers that invest in the small cap sphere. So thank you for coming on the show for the first time, Robert. Absolutely. And Bill, thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of your show as well. I, I remember listening to uh, the interview that you did with Ian Castle a long time. I guess that was like three years now ago, uh, three years ago now, but um, really appreciate you uh, and what you do. And, and thank you for listening to my shows. And this is a, uh, uh, this should be fun. Let's do it. Absolutely. And Ian's, Ian's a smart guy. We both agree on that. Well, 100%. Your background, how did you focus on small cap investing? And now you're running a podcast that focuses on making money in small caps. Sure thing, and I'll make I'll try and uh, make it short and sweet so that we can get to the uh, the 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 meat and potatoes here. Um, I, I came into the business in 2011, um, right from undergrad. I thought I was going to be a stockbroker uh, when I was uh, going into my senior year of college. Um, that didn't work out, but during my internship, uh, being a junior analyst, uh, I just kind of fell in love with with microcaps and and just doing the extra deep dive due diligence and. I, it was funny. It just so happened as a senior in college, uh, my first job, they had me looking at cannabis public uh, companies and this is 2011 at the time, just being like, what? Like there's these, these things are public. Like there's all this extra people aren't covering it. There's there. It was just, it was so much fun for me. And um, right after I graduated, thought maybe it was going to go in, again into the stockbroker route, ended up not working out. And uh, then came into the family business. SNN was founded by my parents um, back in 1998 is a totally different company, but uh, had had reformed uh, into this media company covering microcaps. And I just saw a really great opportunity for me to uh, blend both my passion for microcap investing and microcaps, as well as media and communications, which what I actually went to undergrad for. So So here I am. Both of us are podcast hosts. And one of the pleasures and um, things we get to enjoy as a podcast host is not only learning from our guests while we're recording, but also the conversations we have pre-recording and post-recording. So since you've interviewed so many smart people in the small cap sphere, talk to me about some of the traits that you've observed over the years. Like what are the key traits to be successful in small cap investing or speculation? I think above all else, and we can get into nitty gritties on how people, you know, dissect balance sheets, income statements, and going through the 10Ks and 10Qs. But I'd say the number one thing across the board is that, well, one, there is no right or wrong strategy, as long as it's legal, of course, uh, to making money in the stock market. Um, 
But the number one trait that I've observed is that the best, most successful microcap investors know the game they're playing. They're working towards mastering or have mastered their investing strategies through practice, repetition, observation. And most importantly, it's an investing strategy that matches their own personality. Another trait is accepting that luck plays a big factor in one's success and being humble enough, despite maybe the 10,000 plus hours uh, of work and research and all that stuff uh, that has gone into working on one's investing strategy, realizing that chance will always play a role. Um, at the end of the day, investors are, you know, we're, we're making, uh, for the most part, highly educated and, and researched bets. And even the most heavily researched and understood ideas can ultimately not work, but also vice versa. So you mentioned Ian. Ian got invested uh, in small caps, interested, I should say, when he was a teenager. Do you notice that's a trait also that a lot of these people you interview got going in small caps at a very young age? More and more recently. I mean, I remember doing an interview with Michael Liu, who actually happens to also work with Ian um, back when he was still, I think, he was still in high school <laughs> and, and became super passionate about microcap investing. And ever since then, you know, I realized that that was a trait that it, it, it was, it was both sides, right? It was folks that, you know, maybe discovered it from a parent or a teacher and said, oh, this is interesting. Let me dive a little deeper. Or they picked up that first, you know, intelligent investor or, you know, one up on Wall Street and realized that this is where alpha lives is in microcap investing, or they just got passionate about investing. And as they started going down the rabbit hole, they realized, oh, small microcaps is where it's at. It's just still blows my mind that it's still not covered as, as, uh, as much on legacy media uh, outlets. Um, I mean, it creates a nice opportunity for us, right? Um, but, <laughs> but, but it's still, it still completely blows my mind, you know, when pe- how people uh, who aren't in microcaps or small caps even still think of this as wild, wild west, you know, penny stocks, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mistakes. So you talk to the the investment managers that do this full time, but you also run conferences. You're a content provider. What are the mistakes? Most common mistakes you see small cap investors make? Not cutting losers with when the thesis is clearly broken. That is by far the most common common error. And this is amongst pros. This is amongst newbies. It. I've, I've, that's happened to me before, you know, where you just, you, you're, you're just, you're so convinced you've done so much work and you're just, you know, you're just un, unwilling to accept that, you know, it, it just, this one didn't work out and not, not understanding that there are plenty, there are more fish in the sea. Um, so confirmation bias is a real thing. Um, you can say you talked with management, you did your channel checks, um, but you know, you may not have asked that challenging question to a, uh, a customer, to that management team, to the CFO. So just, just not asking that extra step question where maybe it actually probably came up in your research, but you're just like, ah, no, whatever, you know, well, I, I, everything else checks the boxes. But when it comes to small microcap investing, every Every single company has hair. There's hair everywhere. And you just have to do, be your own best risk manager and understand, okay, 
I can, I can deal with this. I can deal with that. All right. These things are risky, but they're working themselves out. You know, that, that is by far the number one mistake I see. And, and also, I mean, hosting a conference and doing interviews with management teams, you know, uh, management teams can be great salespeople, you know, so it is also, I think this is all both a mistake and also a one trait that I really respect with a lot of investors is when they do hear a management interview or they do a one-on-one is, you know, taking a step back, not just going right away and investing and say, oh, this, this wow, amazing, greatest presentation I've ever heard. You know, it, it's, it, I really respect a lot of folks that kind of are able to take a step back saying, okay, they are clearly, they're going to always try and put their best foot forward. Let's understand the opportunity, what that means. And were they at all self-deprecating or at least giving the other side. Like we, I have this new show due diligence with Robert Kraft on the planet microcap stream where my new, my favorite question, well, I have two favorite questions. One is give me what the business does in one line. And my second question that I love to ask all of them is what does failure look like? What is there? What is the downside risk here? And I really always key into what management has to, how they answer that question, because that, that tells me a lot. What's your follow-up question when they say, you know, everything's running smoothly. There's really nothing to worry about. Do you have a follow-up? Because I, I've been given that kind of answer before. Yeah. I mean, it depends, you know, uh, there, uh, listen, on, on that show, we want to, I want to let companies, you know, kind of, this is how they want to present themselves. Okay. You know, and especially if that's going to be their answer. Okay. You know, that's, that's how you want to answer it. Let I, the listener decide. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, I'll, between us, you know, that, that, that's definitely something that I would be like, really, there's, there's nothing, there's no, you can't think of anything that could potentially go wrong with your business. I'm like, okay. I mean that, sure. That shows a level of overwhelming confidence in the business. I appreciate that a hundred percent, but at the same time, you know, like it's okay. Like it's, it, it's okay. You can tell us what can potentially go wrong. Because guess what? There's really smart investors that will find it. Absolutely. Yes. And blog about it. <laughs> that too. <laughs> yeah. So as you know, we narrowly focus on uh, junior mining stocks on this show. You, since you have a broader exposure to the psyche of small cap investors, share with me and my audience, how do generalists, small cap investors that don't focus on the mining sector view junior mining stocks? I mean, just like small micros in general, I'd say that junior mining stocks also sometimes suffer from this wild, wild west mentality. I mean, especially since the the boom that we saw. When I when I when I first came to the business, I only went to uh, mining conferences. You know, uh, you you know them all. And especially back in 2011, at that time, you know, it was like, wow, gold is almost at 2,000. It's definitely going to hit that. It's going to go to 5,000. You know, the sil- silver. I was bu- I bought a silver coin for like 30 34 dollars at the time, thinking I was a genius. Like, this is a great investment. I can't believe it. And, um, you know, uh, so I think, and then of course, from there, because everything was so, you know, a craze, I mean, there was a lot of speculative companies going out there, you know, with very, very high risk projects and maybe not greatest geopolitical situations. And, you know, a lot of generalists may have seen this and, you know, might've lost some money in that. And, didn't really understand that this wasn't the potential home run like management was saying, because there's quite a few of these management teams that are, uh, they're, they're, they're good at talking the story. Uh, I, I'm not going to use the P word. 
um, <laughs> when it comes to that. You probably just, you know what I'm talking about there. Um, but uh, I'd say for the most part, generalists are um, they, they just they're a little bit extra careful. Um, and it, and I'd say that doesn't it, it, it's because junior mining also gets lumped in with story stocks. I mean, it's a pre-revenue business uh, for most of its life cycle, especially on the exploration uh, project uh, project generator side of things, right? Um, and it, it also requires then because it's pre-revenue, and it's going to take a little bit more time and understanding not just how the business works, but now. I got to understand how to read a uh, drill results. Uh, you know, what is it more challenging than biomed or tech? Do you oh, think? I was, I'm going to get to that. Point. Okay. I, I, <laughs> you're no, you're, you're totally right. And yeah. all the time, I always say that, you know, my junior mining and biotech might as well be kissing cousins, right. When it comes to this stuff. Um, and it, cause it's not that generalist investors aren't open to understanding that and, and wanting to, to, to learn a little bit more about how to uh, understand drill results. And, and I'll be the first to admit that you don't need to be a geologist to have a basic understanding of how, you know, a company is performing and, and whatnot. Um, but, but I also think that it's sometimes circumstantial. I mean, it, it might also depend on how you first made your money, right? If you made it speculating in junior mining stocks, guess what? You're, and, and there's probably definitely luck involved there. Um, <laughs> you probably are going to go down that rabbit hole and know everything there is to know about investing in junior mining companies as best you can and understanding the cycles and, or the cyclical nature of the business and how there's different pockets and there's different regions uh, that might be hot or might not be, or how you want to go to safer jurisdictions versus not safer jurisdictions during this certain time period, depending on when the price of gold or other commodities are, you know, um, it, it really just, it just also depends on that experience. Um, but I'd say for the most part, generalists are geared towards some of those junior mining stocks that near-term production have some kind of production. Just it's, it makes, it, it definitely makes things easier to put the toe in the water when you're like, oh, there's some revenue I can kind of point to, even if it's not profitable yet, at least there's something I can point to, to understand like, okay, this is where the business is going. These might be its takeout partners because we are dealing with small micro caps, right? Um, so that's for the most part how generalists think about it. I mean, I'll be honest, there are so, there are some that's just like no way that like junior mining, <laughs> like nope, you know, just they hear my and they're like nope, you know. But uh, <laughs> it's a bad joke. But yeah. uh, but but there's also uh, quite a few folks that are contrarians and understand that hey, it's you know everything that's unloved can be loved again. Everything that's loved can also be unloved again, you know, so um, it's not a total hate, but it is definitely with a, you know, an extra watchful eye. So you've interviewed people in the resource sector like me. What are some of the key things that you've learned as an interviewer from these uh, skilled resource investors? For sure. And I'll definitely shout out to, and, and listen, I'm, I'm sure your audience probably know these, knows these folks all too well. You've interviewed them many, many times as, as have I, uh, but my go-tos have, have been Brent Cook, Rick Rule, Joe Mazumdar. Um, I've interviewed them quite a few times uh, as well as Adrian Day actually as well. And um, it's, it's, you know, with each interview, it's usually having to do with, okay, what's going on right now? What's hot right now? What's what's interesting? What are you interested? What are you looking at? So, it, so in terms of 
you know, just overall things. There's not much I could really tell from that, but the main things that I I've taken from them is, you know, no matter what the timing is or where we're at in certain cycles, um, there's always things that you can go on your checklist. Where's the project located grade? Um, you know, how, how much will it cost to actually extract whatever metal it is? Um, the infrastructure has this management team done it before in the same commodity, which was a big one for me, honestly, because, you know, you, you, you can interview some of these teams and like, yeah, I know I was at Placer and I was at, you know, Agnico Eagle, you know, doing silver this. And now we have this great gold deposit in, in the Congo. It's like, huh, wait, what? You know, and earlier in my career, I was like, wow, they've been very successful and they worked on all these different things. And now they have this new project. But that was one of the things that I thought was pretty interesting. Um, and yeah, that's not to say that a management team can't be successful having, you know, mined and brought online or sold a project in a different commodity and now is in something else that might be more interesting to them. And they've done their deep dive, but it's definitely something that I, I've I've considered as well as infrastructure. Um, I love asking the geopolitical question. That's been one of my main questions to ask almost every management team, um, especially uh, if they have projects in third world countries uh, in Africa, uh, you know, I've joked about the Congo, like, you know, that's, that's a major, major risk, (laughs) Um, a big risk. Um, So those have been the main things I think that I've learned from them and just, just really listening to what they have to say, because they've been doing it for a long time, you know, not, of course, not just diving into any company that they, you know, recommend or anything like that, or that's featured in their newsletters. Um, And of course, doing the follow-up due diligence and talking to management team, but I've really respected their, their, their longevity, their careers and, and the success they've had. So you're the CEO of SNN Network, and you're also the host of the Planet Microcap uh, Showcase in Las Vegas coming up here, a conference in which I'll be participating. You're adding a resource track, so I'll be moderating one of your uh, resource uh, sessions there. That is in early May. Uh, Tell us what we should expect at that conference, who's attending, and a little bit about your network too, please. Sure thing. So our upcoming event is the Planet Microcap Showcase. It is happening May 3rd through the 5th at Bally's Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. We're very excited for this two and a half day event, which starts midday on May 3rd. Uh, I don't have exactly what time Bill will be uh, doing his thing, uh, but um, that's going to be a half day of educational panels and keynotes from folks across all microcap um, covering not just mining and resources, but tech, gaming, um, some cannabis, and uh, and and so we're very excited about that day. Networking events on both Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Company presentations happening eight to uh, six on Wednesday, and then uh, one-on-ones with companies and our participants at the event. What they can expect? It's a boutique event. You know, we're we're not here to pretend uh, to say that we are one of these big uh, uh, CES events kind of things, but it's really an opportunity to network with a core microcap audience, both from an issuer and investor side of things. Um, 
over the last 10 plus years that I've been in SNN, we've been able to cultivate an amazing network of investors and issuers that really contribute so much value to the microcap space. And some of those folks will be in attendance and are folks that if you really are looking to learn more, boost your own networks, learn about potential opportunities that are out there, as well as to get good quality education on how we should think about various sectors or look at investing in microcaps. Our event is a place for you. And listen, who doesn't love coming to Vegas, man? I mean, it is, it, it I've been now a couple of times uh, since the pandemic has broken out and it's back. Um, we're going to be following all the COVID protocols, of course, um, you know, you're going to have hand sanitizer mass available if you need it. Um, but uh, we're just, we're, we're so excited to be back in person and um, we're just, yeah, we're just, I'm pumped to see everybody in person. I've been, been under lock and key, I feel like for the last two years, you know, so uh, doing, do, doing virtuals, which is a lot of fun, but uh, I'm excited to see everybody in Vegas. Yes. All right. And you can see me too. And we're going to link to that uh, conference in the show notes, as well as Robert's website, snn.network. Do I got that right, Robert? That's correct. And the conference website to register to come is www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. We got rooms at Bally's for 79 bucks a night. Um, it is complimentary for investors to attend. And um, I hope to see you all there. All right. Excellent. Thank you for coming on today's show, Robert. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well, or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.